0: Thank you, church, for being obedient to the Word of the Lord, to go out and preach the gospel. Thank you for uh, trusting us as your leaders, though we do get persecuted in this country. We will not intentionally ever bring you into a dangerous situation. We want to keep you safe, but wonderful testimonies that came through that time. And uh, Billy Graham Association, a while ago, did a survey on how often people are preached to before they accept Christ. And I think it was right around like 10 times. Uh, I don't know the exact exact number. And so oftentimes we may be the one planting the seed, watering it, and then someone else may harvest it. And other times we may be the one harvesting. There was a woman when we were out preaching the gospel who had received a flyer, because I mean, we lined up that whole block and she was walking by because maybe she didn't stop and talk to that person who handed the flyer, but she kind of like saw us and was like, hey, what do I do with this? As if she had just received a coupon or something. So I went over and talked with her. And within a few, Moments she's weeping, coming to Jesus, receiving deliverance. I'm just telling you, like, but but here's the thing with that that woman was prepared for by the Lord and others in her life leading up to that. Also, at another time, uh, you, you see me standing by the speaker, you know doing this because it was a really busy day, the last day, and I just felt like I wanted to to do the Papa thing there and just be by the speaker. We had a lot of young ladies with us, and I just wanted to be by there, and I had the shirt on that had the lion with the the dragon in its mouth, so we know the lion wins every time, amen? And by the way, the the front of the shirt says, when Satan attacks, the lion has my back, okay? So I just want to make sure I complete that for you because if you're looking at me today, you're only going to see when when Satan attacks, but he loses, amen? And so uh, I'm standing right there, and just like, I mean, I'm quick to see who's coming, but this guy, by the time I saw him, he was right here in my face. And you know what he said? I need prayer. Just imagine that. You're out there, Lollapalooza, thousands, what did they say, 100, 200,000 people, and then I need prayer. And I'm like, all right, we'd love to pray for you. Well, I bring Juan over to start praying for him once again, within moments, tears streaming down the face from a church background, came to Chicago to make music. I guess he's making money doing it, very popular in whatever genre he's in. But he's feeling alone. He doesn't have the, the relationship with God that he needed. And, and that happened within that moment. Somebody say, those are the wins. Amen. Those happen, and we don't take credit for that. But then there was other people that get upset. They get angry. So I don't just go out there for the winds. I go out there also to plant the seed. Any gardeners here? Any gardeners? Has anybody uh, reaped anything yet from their garden this season? Some of their vegetables coming out, I know I see them. Amen. That's wonderful. But how many know when you're planting the seed, it's not, it's not a lot of fun. I mean, it's relaxing, but you get my point. You're just looking at dirt. You're putting in a seed. That's about it. You're not making something with your cucumbers, your peppers, your strawberries whatever you have going on there, and that's what it feels like sometimes when we're out preaching the gospel. So I want us to be encouraged to keep going to the other outreaches that we have because we know that the Lord is going to use them. Amen? Okay. I don't want you to get discouraged. I want you to stay focused, and I want you to see what God can do in you. And maybe one more example, Um, Jocelyn, Isaiah was in first service, right? Okay. Yes, I believe he was sitting right here. Can anybody confirm that Isaiah was in first service? Okay, I believe he was. I want you all to think about this. Jocelyn, would you stand up for us, please? She is one of our preachers at UIC. Can we give it up for Jocelyn? Amen. We love you. You may be seated. Don't want to embarrass you because I know you're all shy until you get a microphone, and then she's like a roaring lion, okay? Okay. She won to the Lord, Isaiah, who was, like I said, in our first service. And do you know, I think it was two or three weeks ago, he filled that entire row and a little bit extra, he had six friends with him come to church. You see, that's the power of the gospel. Come on, let's give it up for Jesus. You reach one to teach one to reach one. And it's not always that easy and that fun, but if she did not want to stand out there at UIC and preach the gospel, how would we ever see an Isaiah saved? How would we ever then see Isaiah's six friends come to church? And some of them told me afterwards, I shook their hands, I was talking to them. They said, man, pastor, we've never even heard that before. We, we got so many questions. We, we uh, obviously have heard about Jesus, but we don't know all, all the things about the Bible you were talking about. Can we learn more? And I pray that she'll continue to reach out and so will Isaiah. I, I believe that we're somewhere in this generation between gospel-hardened, People are hard to the gospel because they've heard it enough and they've rejected it. And then we're also in a generation that's gospel ignorant. And I think we're starting to go way more towards the gospel ignorant side. There's a lot of times when I'm out there talking to people and they don't understand anything about what we're talking about. They think when we're talking about hell that we want them to go there. And I don't know how they've gotten that confused, but we're not out there to tell them to go to hell. How many think that would be a very hellish job to go out preaching hell to everybody and wanting them to go there? That would be miserable, wouldn't it? I mean, could you just imagine standing on a street corner, go to hell! Hey, you over there, yeah, you go to hell. Yeah, and you too, you go to hell, and guess what? You're all gonna burn. But that's not what we're doing. Maybe somebody else does that. That's not what we're doing. We're out there because we don't want people to go to hell. We actually believe it. And as I've mentioned here before with Pin and Teller, uh, Pin Gillette, he made a video after he did his magic show. A Christian man said, man, I love how you guys do your Vegas show. It's awesome. He said, can I give you this Bible as a gift? Do you know that Pin received it? I know about this because it's on a YouTube video. You can watch it. Penn Jillette said, said, I received that. He said, why would I not if a person believes heaven and hell is at stake? He said, I'm an atheist, but why would I refuse a gift from someone who thinks I'm going to hell? They're actually helping me. He said, the ones that I'm concerned about are the Christians who say they believe I'm going to help but never talk to me about it. He literally said this in his video. How much do you have to hate me? This is what he said. How much do you have to hate me to not tell me that you really believe I'm going to help and have a solution? He's not talking about a man screaming in his face, Pen. you're going to hell. No, no, the guy came to him going, I want to see you saved, Pen. I want to see you know Jesus. Here's how you can know Jesus. And that's what I believe the world is waiting for. Now, some are gospel-hardened. That means they've heard the message. They know it. Maybe they were in Sunday school, so forth. But we still owe it to them to give second and third chances by God's grace. Amen? I said Amen. Do we, you all got quiet. I'm going to preach another message. I don't think you guys understand how much I listen to what you guys say after me. Even if you're tired, this is the way I preach. I'm a communicator. Do we owe it to people to be God's grace to give them second and third chances? Do you, I mean, because if you don't understand that, I want to preach on that. I'm so excited. I want to preach on that. Because we are not here. Let me just say this. We're going to have a little mini message now. We are not here to guard our low self-esteem that cannot handle rejection. Well, I, I, I don't want to go and preach because then th- they're going to reject me, and I'm going to feel bad about myself, and I already feel bad about myself. Do you know that one of the best advices that I can give you as a person if you struggle with low self-esteem is to go out and preach the gospel? You will get over that very quickly. You might cry a few times, and then you'll get over it because you'll realize that self-esteem is not based on how you look and appear. My dad went out there. He's in his 70s. People screamed at my dad. My dad lives in a Del Webb community in Florida. Has anyone ever been to one of those? It's Disney World for adults. My dad has made it in life. He doesn't owe anybody a thing. He travels to the pool in a golf cart. Do you guys understand? But he goes out there, and people hate him. They hate him because they hate the gospel. And so you get over it real quick. You could be a millionaire, a billionaire. And the moment you mention Jesus, they're going to hate you. So you just get over it. So I say to people who struggle with low self-esteem, let God help you get over it by being rejected a whole bunch of times. And then you'll feel the love of God, which is real, and the power of the Spirit. And you'll overcome it out here, and then you can overcome it everywhere. But, But track with me. God is not trying to keep you from getting rejected and making your self-esteem his number one priority. The number one priority of God is for the gospel to go out across the earth and he wants you to go spread it and yes, it may come with rejection and they may be rejecting you but how do you know You wouldn't know unless you're God, but how would you know if the person next is going to accept the message? So let's say I'm out there, you know, standing guard by the speaker, making sure everybody is safe. Let's say I got offended, you know, uh, five minutes before that young man came and said, I want prayer right in front of my face. Let's say I got offended, and I go, guys, take the speaker. We're getting out of here. These kids these days, they don't know how to appreciate anything. We're taking this. I, I age like 20 years, you know. Start limping over there. These kids don't appreciate anything anymore. And I'm leaving. Where is that kid going to go ask for prayer now? Where is he going to go? You see... We're not out there to protect our reputation in that way, to protect our low self-esteem. We're out there to have God esteem. We're out there to stand in the power of the gospel. And if we're the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, the hundredth chance, I'm willing to go out there and do it. Amen? Amen. Thank you for your amens. Let's go now into Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Somebody say, perfect in Christ. Thank you. I am just about feeling in the spirit that I have completed my journey with you of contemporary, extemporaneous, and on-the-spot sermons, which means in the moment, contemporary, at this moment, I've been doing it extemporaneously without notes in the second service because we finished the book of Galatians, and I'm just about ready to go there. There's a book that we're going to go through by God's grace and uh, verse by verse in John, Uh, first service we're going in John, but before we do, there's a subject I would like to discuss with you. If I feel like I can unload it all here today, then uh, by God's grace, we'll go into the book of the Bible uh, next week. If I don't feel like I can get it all out, we'll go through a couple weeks. So it might be a little mini series. Perfect in Christ. Somebody say that with me. Perfect in Christ. One more time. Perfect in Christ. This is one of the messages that I have as a passion Every person is going to have a passion, a pet doctrine, something that they really like hone in on. I'm sure you do too, that whenever you study the Bible, you kind of always fill in more pieces to that doctrine. Like let's say you're in the end times, whenever you read something in the scripture, you're like, it's cool. And it's like, oh, that fits into end times. Okay, I can see that there. Or or maybe you're into the Trinity and and you can find the three persons of the Godhead uh, working together, even in unique ways where a lot of people would just read over it. You're like, man, I the Father, Son, and Spirit here, or or there's others of you who who look to the Bible as your marching orders, and so you're very command-driven, you're very, like, instruction-driven, so you you go through the Bible, and you highlight all the instructions, and, and when you find one that maybe someone doesn't pay attention to a lot, you show them, like, hey, do you know we're supposed to do this? Here's mine. Mine, from day one, has been the identity of a Christian when they come to Christ, what are Christians like when they come to Christ? What's unique about this is I've talked to many of you who listen to other speakers and, and preachers is that this has been a theme going on in the body of Christ. So I'm not alone. I'm not uh, unique in this. A lot of Christians that I follow, pastors, ministers, I can name a few right now, uh, Todd White, as we've talked about, also um, Rodney Howard Brown, as others, as we've talked about with them, uh, also... Um, uh, The guy from Charis Ministries, what is his name? The guy from Charis Ministries, Andrew Womack. Uh, Andrew Womack, does anybody even know these names? Most of you guys don't listen to the who's who of the charismatic zoo, but these are some people I've heard about these messages from. Uh, Others would be like Dr. Michael Brown and so forth, Uh, even Keith Collins and those guys who are on our board. This idea of identity. But for me, I can actually say, like you who has never heard of most of these people, I wasn't influenced by these big names when I first started studying this. When I was a new Christian, November 5th, 1995, saved from drugs and alcohol, that's my testimony, within a few days of studying the Bible, first book of the Bible I really studied was Proverbs, I began to understand that what I was feeling on the inside was for a purpose to live a certain way, to act a certain way, and to believe a certain way. And the book of Proverbs is a book of instructions, and I began to realize that a lot of these instructions are beyond my natural ability to do. You know, like the book of Proverbs basically lays out what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do, and if you don't do it, you're a fool, and if you do it, you're a wise person, and I didn't want to be a fool, even though Mr. T, he does what with the fool? He pities the fool, right? This is old school 80s show right there, and I was like, I don't want to be a fool. I want to be a righteous person, but these things are intense, These things are intense, like, you know, know, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge God, uh, acknowledge the Lord, and he will direct your paths. Like, man, how... Do I acknowledge God? That was like a question I would have. How do I acknowledge God in all of my understanding? And then the book of Proverbs spends like chapters describing a man dealing with adultery in his heart, tempted towards sexual perversion. This is called the foolish woman. And he's like, if he's unwise, he's like a bird being trapped in a snare and he's gonna be killed and served up for Thanksgiving dinner. And I'm like, I don't wanna be a turkey. How many don't want to be a turkey in life, trapped by the devil, served up on a platter? But then I'm like, but I find women attractive. I'm, I'm a young man, I was 18 at that time, and I'm like, how do I avoid the perversion of the man who gets trapped by the perversion? Like I mean, do I pretend I don't have sexual attractions because now I'm a Christian? And then Paul, still to this day, uh, you know, probably my primary author of the New Testament. If I have a question, I check out with Paul. He really makes clear the teachings of Jesus. Paul had these lists. We now know them as the deeds of the flesh. And early on in Christianity, I learned the deeds of the flesh. Anybody else learn them early on like stay away from the naughty zone. Anybody else? Okay, nobody? Do you know the deeds of the flesh now? Let me ask you. Maybe I should read. Let's just read them because maybe they don't know. Uh, Brother in the back, please put up the deeds of the flesh for everybody, Galatians chapter 5. And I just remember reading through these like with Proverbs going, okay, I know I'm not supposed to do this. This is not what I do now as a Christian, but so many of these things feel good and they're tempting to me. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality. How many know that? Well, let's not raise hands and say amen here. But how many know that temptation can feel good and be tempting to a lot of us? Impurity and debauchery, that's going along with it. Idolatry, putting things before God, witchcraft, you know, like looking to other religions or horoscopes or things like that to get your peace. Hatred, how many of that can be easy sometimes, especially in Chicago traffic? Am I just telling on myself, you all getting quiet in the Presbyterian church. You don't have to shout amen, but aren't you Pentecostal though? Amen, so if you want to, you can. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition. Man, I feel selfish. Oh, selfish. As a new Christian... My mom found a woman in my bedroom. We weren't doing naughty things, but it was naughty in one way, not in the way she thought because she heard noise. She's like, because I got kicked out of my house early on, 16 years old, living as as a sinner on my own, get brought back in as a Christian because my parents wanted to help me. My mom uh, led me to the Lord at the kitchen table, and she hears a woman in my room. She's like, what's going on? She opens up the door. You know what's going on? The woman's doing my homework. I was only saved for a few months. So I'm like, instead of taking advantage of girls, which I'm sorry, I was one of those guys, but I did have my heart broken a lot too, so feel sorry for me. But I used to also take advantage of girls. So I'm like, she was like always like wanting to hang out. I'm like, I got an idea. Let's hang out in my bedroom and you do my homework. And so I'm a new Christian and my mom's like, what are you doing? You don't do this as a Christian. You don't do this. But I was selfish. Somebody say selfish. Some of you are still selfish and you've been safe for a lot longer than I was. So don't look at me crazy. I was selfish, dissensions, argues, arguments over silly things or arguments that should be looked over, but you hold on to them, the grudge, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, that's actually in our Bible, and the like. As I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Everybody say, that's the naughty list. That's the naughty list. So I'm a new Christian, and I'm like, this is not easy. There are things on this list that come very normal, natural, I was born this kind of way. Like how many here would just be like honest with yourself and be like, I was born selfish. Like, I'm kind of like naturally selfish. I have six kids, and yes, they're born selfish, okay? And uh, how many would be honest and say, some of us here, you were born to argue and get in fights and be factious and just make a mess. That's like natural. And others, sexually perverse. Some people say, I don't even remember the first time, you know, I looked at pornography, but I got hooked on it, and it was part of who I was. Well, these things were natural as a sinner. But now as a Christian, I knew there was a new nature. Let's just go to John 3, verse 3. I knew enough of the Bible from my parents and the church that I was attending that there was a naughty list I wasn't supposed to be on, I wasn't supposed to be participating in, and I knew that Proverbs was teaching me how to do the right things, but it just felt like it was so hard. Uh, I was supposed to avoid the list that Paul said was the naughty list, but some of those things felt natural, they felt easy to do, they felt good. Here Jesus said, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. What does it mean to be born again? Look at verse 6. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone born of the what? The spirit. How many have been born of the spirit? All right, so now do you see the situation I was in as a young Christian? I'm talking weeks, not even a month. And so my identity was important to me. I'm a Christian, but I feel tempted to sin. I'm a Christian that now doesn't want to do the things that God has commanded me not to do, but why, oh why, do they feel so natural? Then throughout my time in Bible college, I began to ask these kinds of questions. I was given books by Lester Summerall on the body, soul, and the spirit, which I would definitely recommend, classics. I was uh, given teachings by Kenneth Hagan and others, faith preachers, I was raised by them, not the goofy, weird kind, but the kind who actually lived for Jesus, gave to the poor and needy, but they believed in prosperity and blessing. That's just to give you a clarification. Also came from the vineyard background. Guys who got saved out of the Jesus movement wore flip-flops. My pastor, just as casual as I am, today and i would ask them questions go to bible college and i was growing but i couldn't put it into my words there is a passage in romans chapter 7 let's go there but there's going to be a conflict to describing it this way and i'll show you paul says it in a way you think it might be describing us and the things that i was just talking about as christians when we feel this way but it's really not go ahead and scroll down a little bit for please uh, for me please brother Look at this in verse 4. I thought Paul was describing me, but as I was in Bible college, I began to learn early on, this is not me. Notice this. It says, so my brothers and sisters, uh, oh, verse 7, sorry. This is uh, him talking about marriage there. Go on down to verse 7. There we go. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would never have known what sin was if it had not been for the law. So is it bad that the law tells us we do bad? That's what he's asking. He's asking rhetorical questions. Is it bad that the Bible tells us when we do bad things or if something is bad? No. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was if it had not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. So when a child says, mine, do they know they're coveting? No, because they don't know the law. That's why we believe even if they die, they die in God's grace because the, he said the kingdom of God belongs to children. We believe that the, children, the grace for children covers all cultures and ethnicities and all times of history. So there's no one going to hell by accident because they were born into the wrong family. It's not what biblical Christians have been believing since uh, time and eternity, since the Bible's been out, okay? When people try to pin you into those corners, don't let them do it. Say, God of heaven and earth will do the, the judge of heaven and earth is a good God and he'll judge them righteously, Amen. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So that's that's not even a part of what we're discussing here. We're talking about people who know what they do is wrong. So that's what Paul said. I didn't know what coveting was until someone told me, you shall not covet. And who knows how old he was as a Jewish kid growing up and learning, thou shall not covet. And then he got the understanding. Oh, you mean I'm not supposed to always want to keep everything for myself? I'm supposed to share because sharing is caring. So he learned it. But now watch this in verse 8, what happens to him. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. So once I knew, he's saying, what coveting was, sin was right there to say, let's do it more. So instead of the law helping him to never covet, when he heard the law, the law not being sinful, but sin itself said, Now you know that's wrong, and everybody's telling you not to do it. Do it more, do it more, do it more. How many know how that works as a parent? When you tell them not to do something, they want to do it more. Sometimes when I see my girls crying, I go, Just cry, get it all out. Please, please keep crying. And then all of a sudden, my daughters will tell you, I don't want to cry anymore. I don't want to cry anymore. I'm done. No, please let it out. Let it out. Go cry. I want to cry with you. Can you help me cry? And then just, no, I'm done now. I'm done. You know what I'm saying? My kids, come on, go outside. I want to go outside. And then I'm like, go outside. Can I come inside? You know, it's always the opposite, right? It's always the opposite. So sin is like that. When God says, don't do it, sin's like, I wanna do it, I wanna do it. That's what Paul's describing. Now you might think it's describing what I was talking about. It doesn't, and I'm gonna share with you why in just a moment, because it's not what I'm describing. What I'm describing is after I became a Christian. Does Paul sound like a Christian here? He doesn't. He sounds like someone who's never heard the law, right? Christians know the law of God, and then once he hears it, he starts to do things more against the law of God. That is not a Christian, okay? Those, as the Bible goes, as we're going to learn today, when they hear the law, they actually want to do it because they have a born-again spirit. So when you hear a law and want to actually break that law, you're not a Christian. That's a response of a non-believer. And I'll show you exactly out of his own words when he says it, but let's keep going. But sometimes people think that's describing what I'm talking about. It's really not. But sin, verse 8, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. I thought the fruit of the Spirit did good things, so that couldn't be for a born-again believer. Let's keep going. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life, and I died. That's the opposite of being a Christian, right? That's the opposite. Life is in Christianity. Death is outside of Christ. So that's not describing what I'm talking about. I'm talking about I became alive. I was born again. But then now I'm still tempted. So when people bring me to this and they go, oh, you're describing, the, the, you're describing what Paul talked about in Romans 7. No, it's not. Paul's talking about someone who's a sinner who doesn't know the law and then becomes condemned by the law and realizes, I need help. I can't do this on my own. If you remember the rich man in the Bible, when he met Jesus, the rich young ruler, he said, I've connect, connect, uh, kept all these commands. And Jesus said, well, you've lacked one thing, sell all you have and give it to the poor. And then he goes away sad. you know what Jesus was basically doing? Is showing them you haven't even kept the first one, which is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He, and he could have worked him through every one of them if he wanted to. He was showing the man to be a liar. He wasn't as righteous as he thought he was. And so Paul says, when sin came, it brought death. He says, I was alive apart from the law. You know, I didn't have any sense of my spirituality before I knew a law. But when the commandment came, then sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. This is not a Christian. This is a sinner. How many know sinners are dead on the inside, separated from God? Oh, you don't know that? No amens? Man, at least an elder or two. I'm looking at the front row. Go to Ephesians 2, separate tab. Separate tab. The death we're talking about is not physical. He said, when the law came, I died. All sinners are dead without Christ. Look at how Paul describes it here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, you were what? Dead. You were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which as the way you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Going back to Romans... Chapter 7, what does he say? He said, I found, verse 10, that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought what? And all sinners are dead. Now you may say, well, what about the ones who haven't heard the law? Don't be a smarty pants. Don't go ahead of the class. Just track with what Paul is saying. He's talking about those who now know they are dead. They are those who now know the law. They know they are dead. If you're being honest. And all of us here, and most of us know the law. Maybe there's some children that don't, but as Paul said, the all there, we were all dead in our transgressions and sin. How many know even those who are not dead yet yet because they're young or haven't heard the law, at some point they will hear it and they will be spiritually dead and aware of their sin just like we were. Can I hear an amen? So don't make it complicated. It's very simple. But is that a Christian? No, it's not. So then the law is holy and the commandment is righteous, a holy, righteous, and good. Keep going. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin. So that's really what he's been talking about, that recognition as sin. It, was, it used what is good to bring about my death, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am what? Now, could Paul have said, I'm unspiritual as a Christian? Isn't that the first thing we're supposed to say once we're born again is, I am spiritual? Show them, please, in the other tab what we just read. John chapter 3, born of the Spirit. What does it mean uh, to born again? What does born again mean? To be born of the Spirit. Verse 6 and onward, flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to what? Spirit. So going back to Romans chapter 7, when Paul says that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, can he be a Christian here? What is he describing? His BC days without Christ sold as a slave to sin. Paul, you're a slave to sin writing this apostle, uh, epistle as an apostle? I think we need to switch you out. Where's the substitute? Get that guy off the bench. I don't want someone who's unspiritual, a slave to sin, as my apostle. He said in the book of uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 that to be an elder, you had to be above reproach. That means without continual sin in your life, blameless, holy, doing things right. So what am I reading this to you for? Because people would show this to me and say, oh, well, that's what you're talking about, Joe. No, it's not. Because now go all the way down to the end of chapter 7. I could read all of it, but we don't have time. Go right on down here and look at what he sees, uh, says in verse 24. What a wretched man I am. Do you think Christians are still supposed to go around saying that they're wretched? No, wretches go to hell. Wicked go to hell. You're not supposed to be walking around going, I'm wretched. What is he describing here? what he was like without Christ. He's doing it in the present as we oftentimes do. I'm so stupid. You know when someone tells an example of what they did, I'm so dumb. Why would I do that? Well, you're not dumb. Don't call yourself that. But if you acted that way, now you learn from it. But we'll tell ourselves that in the present. That's what he's doing, but he's doing it in a righteous way. I was a wretch. So he's telling them, in that mindset, I am a wretch. When I think like that, that's what a wretch thinks like. So then he ends this going, who will rescue me? From this body, the flesh that he's in, that's subject to death, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So he ends it with salvation. Now go to the famous passage of Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives us life has set us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit. Remember in his Romans chapter 7 recollection, he said, I am not spiritual. I am wretched. But now what is he saying? I am in Christ, I am spiritual. Verse 5, those who live according to uh, the flesh set their minds on the flesh and what it desires, but those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. What do you think Paul is living like there? He's living like in the Spirit, but he was talking about in the flesh. So going now back to Colossians, to our passage today, chapter 1, verse 28, that was the introduction. Just look at your neighbors. That was just the intro. I mean, come on, we got a lot of time here. Nobody's in a hurry. We're all good. I want to tell you this is why it was important to me. I don't know if some of these questions stirred you up a little bit, but this is what I was dealing with. Why does a Christian still deal with temptation in the flesh the way that a sinner may do? Like, it may be the same way. Like, like if, if you saw me being tempted with sexual perversion, the temptation to my hormones, pheromones, uh, things shooting off in my brain may be the same if you had a sinner over there. Sexual temptation for me is the same as it is for them. Losing my temper in in traffic would be the same for me as it is for them. Oh, but Joe, look at Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7 doesn't help me. Romans chapter 7 is talking to someone who does not know the law. Then they know the law and realize they're a wretched sinner needing to be saved from the law. Romans 8 then says they get saved from the law and they shouldn't live according to the law. They should live according to the spirit. We're right back where we started. Does everybody get that? So where is the solution? Some people might just say, well, it's hard obedience. You just do it. And praise God for preachers who taught that. Don't let any one of the friends that I named before, because sometimes we as preachers, we all get sassy and we think we're the best and we've got special revelation from Jesus. Don't let other preachers put down the preachers who preached strict obedience. They'll call them legalizers and so forth and so on, but that's not true. The ones that I know, and I always ask them to be very personal. Which ones are you talking about? Because in the camps that I ran in, from the vineyard to the assemblies of God to the non-denominational, any time you met a preacher who preached the strict obedience to God's word, they never intended you to do it in the flesh. They always wanted you to do it by grace through faith. So I always say, which ones are you talking about? Because Steve Hill didn't talk this way. Leonard Ravenhill didn't preach this way. David Wilkerson didn't preach this way. Yes, they focused a lot on the strict obedience to God's word, but they were never doing it out of the flesh. They were teaching you to rely upon God's grace, power, and spirit. Can I hear an amen? At least trust me that I've been around a little while, okay? And so is it just that? No, it's not. As much as I've loved that kind of preaching, simply hooping and hollering every week about what we are supposed to do will not get the job done as it should be done. In other words, it can oftentimes confuse people with legalism, put them back into the place of Romans 7 where they never feel like they're good enough and they're only a wretch. So I began to do research. How many know we're not the first ones on the planet? How many know there's books and things that other people have written? Amen? So I went back into history, and guess what I found? There was no one there to help, and God was going to give me a revelation that has only been given to me, and now I'm selling you the book for $19.99, and if you buy it now, I'll give you a signed copy with a personalized prayer rag that when you touch it to your sick part of your body, you will be healed. Guess what I found? The exact opposite of that. These questions had already been answered. Some of them by my heroes, those I had already learned about in other subjects. John Wesley, Charles Finney, William Booth, and William Durham. Heroes of my faith and William Seymour had already addressed these questions. But you know what had happened? The preaching, and this is what the message was, the preaching of holiness was lost in the charismatic movement. Now you might say that's a big statement to say, Pastor Joe. And yes, I've been around to cemetery, I mean seminary, and I can back it up, but just hear that as a statement at first the holiness preachers, and I'm talking primarily about United States of America. I know I have friends and you know, here from other countries, and your timeline is different in how church has gone. I'm talking specifically here in the United States of America. And I don't mean that Calvary Chapel Vineyard and some of those churches that I mentioned before intentionally did it. I'm just saying, if you want to look at a timeline and go, where did the holiness preachers disappear? Where did that message start to fade away. And it started to fade away during the charismatic renewal. In summary, what the charismatic renewal was, it was an expression of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but not in the traditional Pentecostal sense, where you had a preacher like me preaching the obedience to God's word with a lot of enthusiasm. It began to come very casually. And that was the greatest strength of it. But how many know your greatest strength can also become your greatest weakness? And so by letting in the long-haired hippies in sandals, playing acoustic music for Jesus, as fun as that is, and I still do that today except without the long hair, though I've had it quite a bit until my wife said I can't do it anymore. The last time I did it, I looked weird. I almost looked like a, like a heavy set Willy Wonka with my hair kind of straight and then a big... I was kind of like the berry person from Willy Wonka, but with long hair, if that makes any sense when the person turns into a big berry. Does anybody remember the big berry, big blueberry? That's what I looked like. So anyways, you can look those videos up. You'll see me like nice and portly, Pastor, but I'll have long hair, okay? Not that. What I mean is they began to emphasize experience, experience. Experience God, experience God. God is in the room, man. Come on, everybody. It's like they took from the drug culture the experience and began to put it into their worship. Everybody raise your hands, experience God, he's here. But there was one guy, now you can't always make general statements about history. There was one guy named Keith Green. Everybody heard here of Keith Green? Listen to some of his worship music out of the Jesus People movement, and he was like the old Pentecostals. So during this time, what they began to do was say, experience, experience, experience. And what started there as experience began to go towards the church growth movement of Bill Hybels, who has now been on a five-year hiatus. No one can find him ever since the Me Too movement. Dirty, filthy man needs to repent and publicly do it right. And then Rick Warren, who we know and love and consider him to be a great guy, but really emphasize church growth. So you put this kind of like experience God idea in the church, and you mix it with if we're doing experience with God right, the church will grow. Now you don't hear the preaching that they used to preach. And then, out of their own desire for everyone to fit in and to feel cool, they began to say things like this, we're not one of those holier-than-thou churches. This is not a holy club. Anybody ever hear those before? Do you know that that was actually the banner of the early holiness movements? They would go out and put up tents, and over their tents, you know what they would say? Holiness unto the Lord. Look at Mary Woodworth, a, better, a baker. Uh, no, that's uh, Science Christian Science. Eder, thank you, Eder. Mary Eder. Look at her banner over her big tent: Holiness to the Lord. Now, my friends, who came out of the Charismatic Church growth movement, have over their door no perfect people allowed. The movement got warped into something that. If you talk about holiness, then you're a legalizer. And if you believe that people should do it a certain way, then you know what? Then you're judgy judge. And that mentality didn't start on the streets with your backslidden friend that now wants to identify as a a giraffe. That started with preachers giving them permission to talk that way because from the pulpit, they were no longer expecting their congregation to live holy. And they were making fun of the generation that had come before them. And then you had in the 80s the last of the Mohicans. You had the last of the Pentecostal holiness preachers and they were the biggest hypocrites. Jim Baker and Jimmy Swaggart. And Jim Baker holding his Bible like this used to preach like the Pentecostal preachers for all the world to see and yet he was seeing prostitutes on airline highway. And Jim Baker was the, the, the softer version of that, like the Joel Osteen of that time. But he still believed in holiness or hell and live right for God and let us do all these things. But they didn't emphasize the heart of the holiness message, which I'm about ready to get into in just a moment. And so they put gold faucets in their bathroom and air conditioning in their dog houses and blew up in front of everybody to see. And after that, everybody said, good riddance. It's Willow Creek for me. They don't mention sin, no cross, no blood, no hell, 15-minute sermon, 20-minute song production, 10-minute announcements, we're out of there in 45 minutes. It's Rick Warren for me, purpose-driven life, make it all about me, five ways to be a better wife, five ways to be a better husband. You'll never reach perfection, but as long as you're trying to work a little bit more on you every day, little by little, you'll become a better person. And now across America, for the most part, what you hear behind the pulpit is therapeutic deism, therapy with a God that is not the God of the Bible. Not saying they're all bad people or heretics, but it's no different than if you went to a Mormon church. I could do this, but it would take too much time to take the transcripts of a Mormon sermon and put them next to your typical church growth, experience God's sermon, and you wouldn't know the difference. Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, a lot of people have the Bible and use that language, burning in my bosom, this is what the Bible says. But you see, it's a unique message of the evangelical Christian, Billy Graham type stuff here we're talking about. Other religions don't talk about it like that. We've always had an encounter-based religion based on knowing who Jesus is, but that encounter was supposed to change you. It was supposed to rearrange you. It was supposed to send you out into the world different than the way that you came in, and it was all by grace through faith, not your effort. And so when I went back and looked at those messages of holiness, you know what I began to realize? Those were actually the biggest churches and the fastest growing movements America's ever had. You ever heard of the Bible Belt? Holiness preachers. Holiness preachers did that. Holiness. You ever heard of these colleges out here? North, I always forget, Northeastern, Northwestern? Which one is it? Northwestern established by holiness preachers. You ever hear about these denominations? Methodists, all of these. Holiness preachers. You ever heard of Salvation Army? William Booth was a holiness preacher. Sometimes people get offended in our church because they get held back in certain areas of discipleship because they're not functioning well or living well. In the Salvation Army, they made no uh, confusion about it. They ranked you as a Christian as you do in the military. Did you ever understand that in the name? It's kind of in the name. Have you ever put them up the way they dress, please? Put in Salvation Army... Uh, 1800s and show the way they dressed, military garb, not to be military in a a physical sense, but to take serious their knowledge of the Bible, the way that they would live and preach the gospel. Now all they're known for is Santa Claus and a red bucket on Christmas season. Read William Booth's book on holiness. William Seymour, the Pentecostal leader of the early 1900s, his only book was written about holiness. Holiness. Somebody say holiness. Holiness. Say it like you mean it. Holiness. 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 Charles Finney spent great amounts of time in his lectures on revival, which, by the way, do you know that the East Coast used to be the hotbed for revival? Massachusetts, New England, New York State. The first places that were abolishing uh, slavery, Oberlin College, letting black females go to school, Harvard, Princeton, Yale. Somebody say holiness. You ever heard of Puritans? Oh, you go back now. You go back now to Puritans. That's piratical. Now we use it as a bad word. Holiness. Purity. Living according to the things of God was a part of the culture. Here they are with their different outfits on, dressed up like in a military garb. And notice this their emblems here in the front, and then maybe their rank or different emblems there. Beautiful holiness preachers. Do you know that my favorite, somebody say his favorite, my favorite preacher on holiness was a Chicago pastor, William. Durham, most people don't know him. He came out of the Azusa Street revival, came back to Chicago, started a magazine and a quarterly thing, I I believe it was quarterly, that they began to share the testimonies of healing and deliverance. But do you know what the focus was? On the doctrine of holiness. And do you know what he called it? The finished work of Christ. That's a big phrase right there. That packs a lot in it. The finished work. Work of Christ. Let's go back to Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. I got back into the intro, didn't I? Are you guys ready for the message? I got some time left, amen? Oh, no, amen there. Where's the band? Let's go. No, no, we're not done. Go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. He, talking about Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching. Everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully jacked up in Christ. As long as they made it, we're happy they're going to heaven. Fully what? Mature. In Christ, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works within me. Show us that in the King James, and I'm going to show you what that word is: mature. How many can guess right now what that word is going to be from the title of today's sermon? It's going to be perfect. That's right. Look at what it says in Colossians chapter one, verse twenty-eight in the King James. Colossians chapter one. Verse 28, whom we preach, thank you, warning every man and teaching every man. So we warn them, but then we also teach them. In all wisdom that we may present every man, what? Perfect in Christ Jesus. Today's title of the sermon is Perfect in Christ Jesus. Well, I thought we were beautifully broken. I heard a song like that on K Love. I'm just, it's like an old country so I'm just a sinner, beautifully broken. But I know it doesn't come with the, that southern twang. It just kind of comes like, I know I'm a sinner, I'm beautifully broken, but he loves me. I'm just a mess, I'm a mess every day. But I know that he loves me. That's like so much of what I hear on K-Love. Just a mess. I kicked the dog. I broke everything in my house. But I lo- I'm loved by God. You know? That's how they sing these songs over and over. And they program us. You're beautifully broken. Nobody is perfect. You're in a struggle. You're on your journey. I remember listening to T.D. Jakes one time, and I go, who are you talking to, a sinner or a saint? He went back and forth between so many examples. I'm like, I feel sorry for people in your congregation. You're going to get a breakthrough. You're going to get a breakthrough. And I'm like, when do I finally break through? When do I go to the other side? Break on through to the other side. Break on through. When do you get to the other side? How many breakthroughs do I need? Does anybody remember the Power Team, the Christian group of the '90s that would come to churches and break boards and bend uh, pans and show you the strength of God? When do I finally break through? I mean, my breakthroughs come. Kind of my breakthrough. Next conference, get your breakthrough. When do I live in the new through the door? When do I live on the other side of that door? I want to live on. The, I want to live on the side of victory. I want to live on the side of freedom. I want to live on the side of of peace and joy, right? So now I began to see the answer, and here I'll give it to you best as I can, either uh, today, which I definitely don't think is going to happen unless a miracle happens, or in the next few weeks in second service. Let's look at Paul's words here. Paul says that he makes it his obligation to proclaim these two things, the admonishment of being perfect in Christ, like you need to do this, but then he would show them how to do it. Does everybody see it there in the King James? Here is the one we proclaim, and what are we proclaiming here? Brother, if we could stay on the, uh, the text, that would be awesome. If you could just go up a little bit to the King James and stay there for us, okay? Okay. You, you see where it says warning um, every man right here? Who we preach, warning every man and teaching every man. Where was the one where it said admonishing? Oh, that's NIV. Okay, now, now I'm confused. So you said, because you heard me say King James. That's why you put it back. Thank you. You, you are an awesome man for that. I'm not so awesome because I got confused. Here we go. Look at verse 28 in the NIV, and then I'm going to stick with the King James. Who is it we're proclaiming? Who is this one? Jesus. And we're admonishing and we're teaching with all wisdom so that everyone may be what? Fully mature or perfect. Now go to the King James. Now we'll get everybody on the same page. Notice what it says here. We are preaching. And what are we preaching? There's a warning and there's a teaching. Somebody say there's a warning and there's a teaching. If you look at the translations, King James sometimes is more simpler than the NIV. I think admonishing, you get a little lost in that word. Admonish? Eh, I don't really know what that means. How many of you know, you know what warn means? Sometimes King James makes it a little bit simpler, and that's why I want to stay there because also you can get lost in the word mature. Like, oh, I'm mature. You're so mature. Like, what does mature mean? How about we say perfect? I think we just got to the point there. Like, you just realize where we're going now. Oh, mature. Well, I'm more mature than this person. Well, we're not going for that, like you comparing yourself to your neighbor. We're going for perfect. Yep, that's what we're going for. Bullseye, that's what we want. Opposite of that, guess, is what, guess what that's called? Sin. The Greek word for sin literally means missing the mark. How many sins do you think God wants you to have in life? Zero. How many times do you think he wants you to miss the mark? So in other words, what do you think he wants you to be? Perfect. Can I show you Jesus doing that? And then we'll go back to Paul. Go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Because sometimes people say, well, you know, Paul, man, you know, he was, he was tough. He was hard. He, you know, sometimes he didn't have his coffee in the morning, and he was really tough on people. But Jesus, you know, Jesus was all about the woman, you know, caught in adultery. What did he say, Jesus, after he said, neither do I condemn thee? What did he say to her after that? Go and sin no more. See, we forget that about Jesus. And then also Jesus, in the middle of his great moral teachings, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, do unto others as you want done unto you, uh, blessed are the merciful, and all of these things. There's this kind of important part he says in verse 48. Would you highlight it for me, please, brother? Be what? Be a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, half perfect and half tore up from the floor up. Is that what it says? Be what? Perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Going back to Colossians, Paul says we are to preach. Okay? So we're going to preach, and we're going to preach Jesus. Jesus will be the focus of everything we do when we're looking at perfection because the perfection bullseye is not a piece of paper that says perfect. It's a person. I'm going to say it again. Perfection is not a bullseye. You're just going to hit that's made out of paper, sir. Perfection is an image of a person, and his name is Jesus. You and I are supposed to be perfect as he is perfect. Now, if I asked you if you had that as a Christian or do you work at that, most of you would say, Joe, I'm working 9 to 5, and I'm trying to get there. Because I understand there's a goal. So you're better than most that are going on in church right now in the mindset. You you go, "I, I, I get there's a goal. But if I said, have you reached it yet? Perfection. Most of you would say no. But Paul said he's supposed to present you perfect. So that means you're already supposed to have it. And the tense of the verb with Jesus is not become perfect. It's be, present be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's a mighty big task. Be it right now. Show it to me. How do you know you got it? Can you lose it? These are the things I want to talk about over the next few weeks, but I'll give it to you as much as I can now because I believe you're going to come back. Being perfect in Christ is that which Christ did at salvation. In other words, the new you is new and perfect. The new you is blameless and without sin. And I began to realize as I went back into history looking at those wonderful men of God that that's what they were preaching, that they were not actually just preaching brute obedience to law. They were not hypocrites. They weren't easygoing hippies. They were people who loved God, feared the Lord, but they would teach that you start at the finish line. That where you start is at perfection in Christ, and then therefore you keep it in Christ. You got it by grace through faith, and now you keep it by grace through faith. And the goal of Christianity wasn't trying to achieve something. It was to remain in something and not lose it. That that was what Christian growth would look like. It would be who you are coming out to the world so they could see it there would be identity at the cross, and from the cross, carrying the cross, there would be maturity. Identity first, and then maturity later. One of the great denominations that I study from now, Nazarene. The Nazarene, if you've ever heard of the church of the Nazarene, is an offshoot of the holiness preachers of the Methodist movement, and they're still of one of the only that still keep it. Mm. So good. I've become the fine wine taster of holiness preaching throughout the years. Oh, this is that 1985 Chardonnay. It's got the, the hints of mahogany in it. The Assemblies of God where I came from, yeah, they, they compromised a little bit. If you look at the 16 fundamental truths of the Assemblies of God, this is the only one they updated. That's the only one. And I wish they wouldn't have. Church of God in Christ, Church of God, better. The Nazarene, they may not have all that like we would in a Pentecostal church. They don't understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But if you talk to a true Nazarene from their denomination about Christian holiness and perfection, get ready to bring out the notes. Their movement still talks on it, but they lost the Pentecostal power or never had it, so they weren't able to move on. Where do we need to be now as Christians? We need to have both. We need to have that message of the holiness preachers. We need to understand what the power of holiness does in a person's life, and then we need the Pentecostal power to go out there and win souls, make disciples, act in the gifts of the Spirit. In other words, the holiness with the charismatic need to come together again. And what the early Pentecostals once were, because they were in the charisma, the gifts of the Spirit, as that word charismatic comes from. Look at it again with Paul. Maybe I'll get to one other scripture, too, if we have time. Paul said that as we are here with you, we're proclaiming these things to you. So this was Paul's way of preaching. He would warn you if you were outside of this, there would be trouble. But he would teach you this with wisdom to live the life that God wanted you to be if you wanted him. And the idea was for you to remain perfect and to stay perfect in Christ. And he said, I'm going to labor hard for this because I don't want you to miss it." Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2 and tie it together with verse 8, Paul's other letter, and see if you can see it here. We talked about being dead in sin. Now look at verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. We've made this confession today. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's what? Handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. My brother, you have the solution that I was looking for. It's yours. You don't have to go through the struggle of trying to wonder if it's Romans 7. It's not there. Here it is. When you're saved, you're the workmanship of God. You're perfect in Christ. You are created now in him, lacking no thing, good thing. You have all things that you need. But what do you do now you do the good works on your own strength. No, by the grace of God, they have been prepared for you. Don't want to look at pornography? That's amazing. You were made never to look at it again, and a work has been prepared for you, so you don't. Want to remain married? Want to stay married? Avoid a divorce if you're a Christian today? Well, both of you, be born again. Be the perfect person God called you to be, and walk now that perfection out. Well, I know for sure my husband's not perfect. I mean, we're not, we're not on the same page anymore, Pastor. Yeah, but he's perfect in Christ. And the good work to walk out in his perfection, it's already been laid out. Like how my wife lays out my clothes. Are you listening to me? Tells me how to step by step to make dinner for the kids. God is helping the husband today to walk as he walks. No person will ever face sin today and not have the good work out of that sin. Isn't that what Jesus taught us when we pray? Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. The very ones who pray that the most, the Catholics, have no idea what they're praying. If you ask a Catholic, what does it mean to be led not into temptation? They go, I don't know what you're talking about. I just go and confess it all the time. But if you ask them, what does it mean to actually not do it? Like, listen to what you're saying, Catholic. You pray this every day, right? Like, you you're pray- and it's a good prayer to pray. Uh, you pray it every day. The prayer isn't, lead me to Father Tom so I can make confession, The prayer is, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Do you think there's ever a time when you and I are tempted with temptation or evil, God says, angels back off, let them get a little bit of it this time. Let them get a little taste of that. No. The Bible says it in the scriptures that any time we face temptation, he makes a way of escape. He taught us, and, and, and Rudy, please get that uh, scripture up for me, please. The way of escape out of temptation. And he taught us to pray in the Our Father, lead me not into temptation. So why aren't perfect people living perfect? That's the big question, isn't it? Because truly, if we're in Christ, we're perfect. But why aren't perfect people living perfect? Nancy, would you help him, please? He makes a way out of, of escape from every temptation. Thank you. When you as a Christian are born again, are you perfect or imperfect? So why aren't we living like it? We haven't been taught. Isn't that what Paul said he does? He warns and he does what? Come on, before you go there, go go back to the Colossians passage. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27 and onward. Look at verse 28. Whom we preach, warning every man and what? Teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man what? Perfect. I don't don't need hands raised here, and I'm not the only one, and I I don't need to feel like it, okay? But I just want to ask you a question. Those of you who have come to other churches before you came here, how many of you were taught to live perfect in Christ? Most of you were not. Because perfection was never something you had and were supposed to live in perfection was something you were supposed to get when you die and to sweet by and by then I'll be perfect <laughs> but if I get perfect at death then why do we call Jesus my sa- our Savior why don't we call death my Savior so at death I become perfect so I gotta die to become perfect well then I'm not in Christ perfect I'm in death perfect death is Lord is that what we believe as Christians but it sounds like we believe it when we talk that way when you bring it down to what our beliefs actually look like in doctrine? That's what it looks like. Be beautifully broken, for your heavenly Father is beautifully broken. That's not what it says. Be perfect, for your heavenly Father is perfect. Be holy, for I am holy. Paul said, I strain towards this. The strain in Christianity is not one of the flesh to become perfect. The strain is to know that you are perfect and how to live that way. That's the strain because your flesh will always be trying to remind you of what you are not. Look at that attitude you had the other day. Look at how you got into a fight with your spouse. Look at how you treated your parents. Look at how you treated your kids. Look at what you did on the job. See, you're not perfect. Is that not just like the devil who is the accuser of the brethren? If you're the son of God, then jump off this cliff and let the angels come rescue you. That's how the devil always talks, to question your identity so that he can take you off the path of your purpose. But once you know who you are, you can do what God called you to do. I got a new idea for a shirt. I am who he says I am, and I can do what he says I can do. I am who Jesus says I am, and I can do what he says I can do. If he said I could be perfect as my heavenly father, I'm going to be perfect. If he said I can be holy as he is holy, I'm going to be holy. That's what I'm going to do. Teach me, brother. Teach me, brother Paul. So I ought to now be able to go to the scriptures and see the teachings of the holiness, of the righteousness, of the perfection. Let me just show you two quickly in closing because I can't leave it like this. Quickly right now, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If you know it by heart, say it with me now. Therefore, if anyone... The old has gone, the new has come. Don't you believe that? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. So what's the first part of this teaching that Paul would give you? If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. You're not your old self anymore. You changed. God changed you. You're no longer the same. You got a new birthday. I was born January 19th, 1977, as a filthy, rotten sinner, but I was born again as a sanctified saint, perfect in the image of God, November 5th, 1995. That's where you start, brother and sister. Right now, you start making confessions. I'm a new creation. Okay, temptation, you're there. I'm not denying you, but I'm going to start this battle right here, saying who I am. I'm a new creation. I'm not a pervert, I'm not a porn addict, I'm not a divorcee, I'm not an abuser, I'm not an alcoholic, I don't need to confess that every time I go, I am who God said I am, and he said I'm a new creation. I'm fighting temptation right now as a new creation. Right now, I am who God said I am. That right there, my friends, is enough to rock your world for the whole next week. Start your battle with temptation, saying who you are to the devil. Devil, I don't know if you heard. I don't know if you heard yet, but I know who I am now. I'm not beautifully broken anymore, and I'm not falling for that. Devil, you're dealing with a new creation. The old Joe's not here anymore, so stop bringing him up. As the old preacher used to say, when he tells you about your past, you tell him about his future. You're going to hell, devil, and I'm not going with you. But it gets even better than that. Paul kept writing. Go to verse 21. Paul said, you're a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. But just in case you want to know what kind of new you are, because you could be a new Prius, or you could be a new Jeep Gladiator. That's one of my favorite cars, Jeep Gladiator. Or you could be a new Range Rover, whatever your favorite car is. See, it's like, what new am I? You know, am I a new Prius? No offense to those who like Priuses around here, but what what kind of new are you? Because it just said in that passage in 17, you're new, right? Come on, can I hear an amen? Amen. It just, I mean, go up. I got to help because I don't want anybody to think I'm making stuff up. And in verse 17, it doesn't say what kind of new you are. Are, are. are you a new car? Are you a new horse? You know, what, are, what kind of creation are you? Now, verse 21, Paul keeps writing. He tells you what kind of a new creation you are. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's what I am. I'm the righteousness of God. God God is so good to me I didn't deserve it I was a filthy rotten sinner but I'm a sanctified saint righteous does that mean everything I do is righteous no I'm still learning to be perfect but I am perfect in Christ I don't have to I don't have to try to achieve another thing to get what I already got in Christ but what I will do is learn how to live that out every single day and Paul the apostle with the apostle John and all the other authors of the scripture they're going to help me to do that can I take you back to Galatians? Because it was always there, and I was looking at it, but I didn't see it. Sometimes you, you read the black, but it's in the white. Black and white, you get it? You've you got to read it between the lines. It was staring me right in the face. Are you guys ready? Galatians chapter 5, the deeds of the flesh. Don't do these things, you naughty thing. You know you don't, 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 don't you do this. You do this, you're going to hell. You're not, you're not experiencing the kingdom of God. But notice what comes right after that. But the fruit of the Spirit is this. I missed it. You see, one is acts, works of the flesh. The other one is being worked on in me. Fruit. Does an apple tree make itself grow? Mm, Apple, come out of me. Come out. There it is. No, fruit is acted upon by the laws of nature. Fruit, listen to this, does not make itself fruit. It is made fruit by the laws of nature. You will no more make love, joy, peace, and all these things come out of you than you could make yourself right now an astronaut and fly to the uh, the moon on the wings that you create for yourself. It's impossible, but you will be made. You will be made to have these things. Did you get it there? See, the acts or the works of the flesh are this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Keep going. Verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus. How many belong to Christ Jesus? Right here. Amen. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have, past tense, crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Hey, brother, remember to crucify your flesh. Hey, sister, remember to crucify your flesh. Crucify your flesh. You know what we need to start saying? My flesh has been crucified with Christ. November 5th, it was crucified. So now, look at it. It says it right there. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. You mean since I've been made perfect There are steps that will keep me in the perfect will of God. Go to Hebrews chapter 12, please, just so I can show them one more time. Uh, Excuse me, Romans chapter 12. Do you mean that the steps have already been ordered for the righteous man? The steps of the Lord are ordered for the righteous. The Lord orders the steps of the righteous. Look at what it says, Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, that thing which is crucified, holy and pleasing to God. This is true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Your mind. Then you will be able to test. You'll test it. You'll approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You'll test it. You'll test it, brother. You'll put God's word to the test, and you'll see that his perfect will is there every time. Sister, this is not just good preaching. This is the way to live. You'll never be the same after you receive this message. You won't. You won't. You will see victory come into every area of life that you believe the victory has already been given in. If you believe you're fighting for victory, you're going to be fighting for a long time. If you start fighting from victory, the confession of faith that you were taught to have fighting from victory wins every time. We defend our borders as a nation, and every Christian here needs to start defending the borders of their mind. And the way you do that, there's going to be a lot of lessons here. I mean, I couldn't finish it today. I've got many more scriptures to go through. But the way you'll do that is just taking God at his word. I mean, if you just want to go right to where it's at, Jesus faced the devil in temptation. Everything the devil said was a lie about his identity. He overcame it by saying, it is written. That's it. But as you live it out, you'll test it. I get it. I had to test it. Like, man, is this thing going to work? Can this, can, you know, can this thing really hold me here? Because if I start saying I'm perfect in Christ, I'm going to look really stupid if I don't live like it. And I'm going to be embarrassed and it's going to look silly. You're going to test it out and you're going to see it works. Then you'll notice the times that you don't live right and you sin. Just go there quickly in closing. First uh, John chapter two. You still can be forgiven of sin. You don't lose perfection. You just didn't act right, but your nature hasn't changed. When my child sins, do they stop becoming, a, uh, stop being a wyrostic? Does the DNA get exact, you know zapped out of them? You're not a wirostic anymore. How could you? No, they're still a wirostic. When you are born again, you stay in the image of God until you come out of faith. I do believe you can walk away, be cut off. That's a different discussion. But as long as you're in Christ, you're in faith, even if you sin, you are still the righteousness of God, though you haven't acted like it. Now, some who teach this now say we don't have to ask for forgiveness of sin because we already have it. It's in the future. Uh, the, 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 the cross was for the past, present, and future. You don't have to ask for it anymore. That's not true because the apostles, like Paul who said he would teach us how to do this, teaches us to keep asking for forgiveness after we sin, because in that moment, you need to learn, like, like Romans says, to renew your mind, to go back to the new. Rewind it to that perfection and go back and do it again. Even if a righteous man falls seven times, he gets back up, the Bible says. Amen? So what did John say here? First John chapter 2, I write these things to you that you can sin whenever you want, and just know that Papa's up in heaven, Papi's ready to forgive you. Is that what it says? I write this to you so that you can just work on yourself, become a better you. He says, I write this so that you will not sin. See, how many churches taught us this? Not many. We, didn't, we, we weren't taught not to sin. We were just taught to maybe keep a commandment here and there, try our best, but we weren't going to learn how to get out of sin. I mean, come on, it's too much to ask. We're all sinners. Everyone talking like as if they're still, sa- uh, still a sinner, not saved. That's why I told you when when they pointed me to Romans 7, I'm like, that doesn't sound like me at all. I'm not like Paul. I'm not a dead person. I'm not unspiritual. I'm spiritual. I feel alive. How are you telling me now that I'm, I'm dead and I'm unspiritual and I'm a wretch? Man, if I'm a wretch after being saved, then what was the point of being saved? So John said, I'm going to teach you here how not to sin. And that's where his old letter goes into. So you can read this one as well. But if anyone does sin, everybody say grace. It's not written there, but it's implied here. If anyone does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Notice our. Somebody say my sins. See, that's the Christian sins. So he's, God's got us. He's got us as a Christian, and not only for ours as Christians, but also for the sins of the world. So they can still be forgiven too. As uh, the band begins to come up here, I just want to encourage you this week to start fighting the battle of the mind to know who you are in Christ, to not settle for anything of your past, but to settle for everything that, uh, to believe and to receive everything God said about you in your future and today in your present. Amen. How many believe you'll be glorified one day? So live in the glory of God today. How many believe you're going to have a perfect body one day? So live perfect in this body. Amen. How many believe you're going to be a saint up there with St. Anthony and St. this one? How many believe you're going to be up there being a saint? We'll be a saint now. In 1 Corinthians, put it in the King James, please, chapter 1, it calls us saints. Why is it we were always taught to think of saints over there, up yonder? It only mentions the saints in heaven a few places. Much more the saints are on earth. And so you can't be discouraged when you sin. You're still sanctified. You're a saint. Look at this. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ to the will of God. And Thessalonians, our brother, unto the church of God, which is in court, to them that are sanctified. See, it's happened in your life. That word means to be made holy in Christ Jesus. Called to be. Who are we supposed to be? Saints, not aints. How many are called to be a saint? Amen. Amen. Don't be an ain't. Why well, ain't one of those? I ain't one of. Well, don't be that. Be a saint. Do we do it on our own strength? No, we do it by the grace of God. Before we stand up and the altar workers come, I just want us to pray right now where we're seated. Can we do that? Because I know sometimes once we get to the moving towards the closing part, uh, we get distracted. And I just want to pray that some of you would receive this from the Lord right now. Father, in these next few moments, as they have time to meditate on what was presented to them, without my uh, enthusiasm or my backstory. Lord, would you right now apply these words to their hearts as we take some time at the end to meditate on these things? Just a few moments right now. Just a few moments. If you're not a Christian right now, you can ask Christ to be the Lord of your life. Say, I believe you died, buried, rose again. You are Lord. Change me. Make me like you. Bring me into your presence. All of those things are proper today if you don't know the Lord, and you can receive prayer afterwards. But For the rest of us, just for the next few moments, we won't be long. Thank you for your patience. Would you look at your life before we dismiss and start at that first part. Do you know who you are in Christ? Let God speak it to you now. those words wash over you the bible says the washing of the word they say oh you brainwashed in that church yeah i needed my brain washed, and so do you let the word wash over you right now you are a new creation you are the righteousness of god if you've been saved and if you're saved right now for the first moments just you got saved today you you could say it for yourself right now i'm the workmanship of god Today I'll put up a post of uh, over a hundred confessions of faith that I made to go along with the book that I wrote and all these things we'll be discussing by God's grace. But just start with the ones we heard today. Do you believe it? Don't let the devil tell you about your past today. Let, Let Jesus tell you about your present and your future. Perfect, holy, righteous, new. The flesh is crucified. God, everyone wants to get over something in their life today. Something that hinders, something that gets in the way. And Lord, show us now how to do it. Next few moments before we dismiss, just thank you where you're at. Would you look at those things you want to get over? You want to break through and be on the other side of? something that you never want to do again, something that you want to see victory in, would you now take that on just for the few moments that we have left from the side of already having victory, from the side of already having the freedom you need? Those who know the truth, the truth will set them free, and they will be free indeed. I am free from anxiety. In Jesus' name, I don't receive it. I am free from worry. I am free from fear. God has given me the spirit of a sound mind, of power, love. I have patience. I have forbearance. I have love to even love my enemies. Fruit of love is in me now because the Holy Spirit, the law of the spirit of love is in me, bringing forth love for whatever I need to face today. I have purity. I have purity I'm not a dirty thing that God is trying to clean every day I'm a clean thing that God wants me to keep clean every day I'm holy I'm not selfish I'm selfless in Jesus name I will learn to live a selfless life because that's how God made me selflessness is my default God convict me when I get out of default and I need a reset That's how some of you need to pray right now about any of one of your sins, any one of the things you're dealing with. Confess the word of God over you and say, that's my default. Lord, convict me if I ever come out so I can reset back to default. Get me back to the original settings. Peace of mind, charity, long-suffering, faithfulness. These are all the gifts of God. And they come, like the Bible says, as fruit. I pray today that many of you do not end up where so many have, trying to do it on your own, and then you get discouraged, and then you say, this stuff didn't work. Start at the finish line. It is finished. William Durham called it the finished work of Christ doctrine. What a beautiful thing he coined here in Chicago over 100 years ago. The work of Christ has been finished for all those who have claimed Christ as Lord. Now live it out in Jesus' name few more moments. Lord, show them that it works. Let them test and approve your perfect and pleasing will this week, Lord. Lord, I I know, God, that it it will work. So show them, God, in the steps they need to take as they work it out from the good work you've given them. You made them a good work to do the good work. Show them that because they be perfect, they now can do perfect. Show them, Lord, how not to sin. And what a fitting way to end today, Father, as you just put it into my heart. Lead us all not into temptation. And deliver us all, every time, all the time, from evil. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Can you stand up to your feet? Metro Praise International. Would you bless him as the band and altar workers come? Hallelujah. Glory.